Okay. Too much horror business driving late at night. Psycho seven. Actually, let me start recording. Let me start. Okay, I've, rec- I've started recording now. All right. Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lore. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to a game show episode of our <laughs> business, apparently. Whatever. I do my radio voice sometimes. Your radio voice. Uh, yes. So, uh, this is actually like less than a week after we, we recorded our prior episode, which isn't out yet, and that's my fault. But this episode is going to be a lot of fun, because we today are blessed with a very, very special guest. We are joined by Ashley Blackwell of... From Graveyard Shift Sisters. Thank yes. you for being here, Ashley. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hi. But I think your website at least was the first, if not one of the only, specifically talking about uh, black representation in horror and then also focusing on women in horror um, and black women in horror, specifically actors. And then today we're talking about directors, black women directors in horror. But I also know you've worked specifically with Women in Horror Month. Is that correct? Yeah, so I think I think my website is the first to focus on black women in horror, but right. I believe black movie blackhorrormovies.com is the first to really focus on black representation in horror. And then like the first book, academic book written about blacks in horror, I think I believe was Dr. Robin Means Coleman, Dr. Robin Means Coleman's Horror Noir, um that book. And then there's also Which is like basically essential at this point. Like if you care yeah. about this, you need to read that book. Or horror in general, but um, yes, Women in Horror Month um, is uh, yeah. I do work with Women in Horror Month. I I think I started working with Women in Horror Month. Well, I did start working with Women in Horror Month. Forgive me. Um, when Visser when Viscera Film Festival was still a thing that was um, roaming around, and they got a five hundred one c three status, which was which is non being a non profit organization, and Women in Horror Month was attached to it for a while, and that's how I got involved with it. It's just kind of because I was kind of volunteering with them, and then there was brought up that you do you want to work with Women in Horror Month and um, and Hannah, who is the founder of Women in Horror Month. And I was like, sure. And so, I mean, Hannah started Women in Horror Month as she, she didn't, it wasn't about her. She wanted to make it, this was, this was for us as for like women who love horror and really want to say, Hey, we are more than just a pair of tits um, running from a serial killer. And, um, and that's kind of how it got started. Cause she was kind of angry with the myopic views of, you know, female representation within the genre basically and so um we just we just realized how great we got along with each other and you know we complement each other as far as personality as far as worth ethic kind of like you know where there's gaps in my um in my development or professional wanting to do let's say you know um she fills that in and vice versa. So, and we continue to work together with Axum Film Festival which focuses on women directors in horror. Can you tell us a little bit about the Axwoon Film Festival? Because it's something that I've been able to appreciate from afar, but I've never gotten to go, and I don't think Justin is gone, so I'd love to hear No, I actually just found out about that this year, I think. So, um, yeah, I do marketing and a few, uh, and um, help and manage social media with um, Axwoon. And Axwoon is uh, basically, again, it's kind of an offshoot of the Axwoon zines that I think Hannah started before Women in Horror Month because she was big into the zine culture when I think she went to, when she was in college, I believe, in the Northwest. Um, and so from there, she started Axe Wound, and, Axe, and the Axe Wound zine was pretty, I think that was literally the first kind of women in, in horror-oriented magazine, and it got so much national attention. I mean, there were pictures of Eli Roth 
reading it and all these other big names. And um, so for the longest time, she's always wanted to like, you know, branch out with that brand and do something different with it. And so she finally, three years ago, I believe it was in 2015, was the first X-Men Film Festival. And she finally uh, was able to get it off the ground and where she currently resides in um, Brattle, Brattleboro, Vermont. And so that's where it kind of got started. And I decided because we worked so good, we work so well together with Women in Horror Month. We decided to work together on Axe Wound. And so I've had a big hand in kind of helping out um, with that as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's basically kind of a, a division of the of the zine. It's, you know, giving women filmmakers um, an opportunity to showcase their work. And she's not and she's not looking for, you know, she's very she's. She very she still has that kind of like that punk girl riot vibe to her right, and to her personality, right. her identity. And she's like, listen, X Women Film Festival is really about if you are a budding filmmaker, a female filmmaker, you know, and that and that if if you also if you identify as a female as well, you know, I'm not looking for something that's ready to be submitted to the Oscars. Like if this is your first film and this is, you know, and it, it fits into the programming because that's also a criteria too, because she, she, Hannah does a really great job as, as put, putting together the films as far as the, the thematics and um, the blocking this and the schedule of it. So if it fits into this year's festival, you know, we're going to take it because we want to see, because we want to encourage women to make more movies. And so that's kind of the gist of it. And mm. so, yeah, we get everyone from, yeah, yeah, this is my student film to, you know, yeah, this this has been shown at Fantastic Fest. So it's that it's that range that you get right. from this film festival. And and a lot of people love it um, from the out from the outside from the outside because coming as um, either filmmakers or patrons, they love it because it's so we we try to foster a family vibe. You know, I go and let go of all of my introvertedness and I'm very friendly and I try to help as much as I possibly can right. and just really talk to people and make them feel welcome. I feel like um, that as I've watched it develop, it feels like the lineup of movies is always really interesting and interesting. Um, you know, obviously having a fest that's focused on women, directors, creators of films is like really great uh, in and of itself. But I think also like um, it shows that a lot of festivals in their lack of diversity are actually kind of limiting the availability of the kind of films that they show because Axe Room shows some like super interesting things that aren't getting into some other festivals. Oh, that's, that's 100% true. I mean, even she, I even like the um, idea, especially this was a, the, because of the entries we got in 2016, for example, like Hannah was super excited because we were getting a lot of animation. And um, so she kind of created a theme around the whole idea of like, like, you know, animation, you know, stop motion, claymation, all types of like really off and interesting things. Again, <laughs> I think because it also caters to her taste and I feel like the, the whole ambiance of the festival itself. So she, um, it's interesting. We have, we do have the, that, that very, very broad range. And I think, again, that's why people are so drawn toward it. And what I really like about, and I'm not gonna, go there with the Philadelphia community. But basically what I like about the Brattleboro community is like, they are so into <laughs> this, like they want this different weird and off kind of, um, um, narratives that they're not going to see at their local theater. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's that range. You get, you get the very abstract avant-garde type of approach to horror. And then you get 
um, something that something that you've something that feels very familiar to you in theme and tone and even characterization, but still it's it's, yeah. it's there's still this freshness to it that still feels like no this person is putting their imprint on this narrative, and so that's why this, there's something good in in it and, and enjoyable. Don't think I don't think that I didn't just catch that subtle shady thing <laughs> film community. Um, well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you more about Graveyard Shift Sisters as well, but I think we're gonna do that as an intro to what we're talking about today. Before that, Justin has a has a question for us. Justin, what what, what is it? What did you want to ask us? Who was Kaiser Soze? No, that wasn't. <laughs> Have you guys done anything in? <clears throat> Excuse me. Can you get a little more excited about your? <laughs> Well, I can't. I... <laughs> also, real quick, should we not? Should we also give a shout out to uh, LVAC and uh, Patreon? Oh, we should do that first. Yeah. This episode, like all other episodes, is brought to you by Lehigh Valley Peril Creations. If you need something, an object, a thing that exists, screen printed for your sports team, sure, uh, marathon drinking team, D and D group. That's that's it. <laughs> if you need your Rob Liefeld fan club T-shirt printed, mm. you can go to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and they will print it for you. So let's say, for example, um, let's say for Liam's Rob Liefeld fan club, if you need a T-shirt with Captain America where he has like really really tiny feet and his hands look weird and he's grimacing oddly, if you need if you have that like idea in your mind, you could tell one of the designers at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. That idea, and they will make it for you. They will help you. They will walk you along the process, creative process for for making the shirt. Let's say, like me, you want a '90s windbreaker that is an all-over print of just Rob Liefeld feet, just drawings that Rob Liefeld made of feet, and it's just all-over print feet all over the windbreaker. Just horrible feet, just horribly drawn feet. They will do that. They'll for do you. that for you. If you need the body of a woman that looks like a wasp and is anatomically horribly incorrect. Chris will grumble about it, but he, he will he will he will print that on a shirt for you. Let's say you need a variety of characters that basically look like Wolverine, but you're pretending they're not Wolverine. Every Rob Liefeld team had a Wolverine look alike. Very true. Okay, <laughs> look, just get some. Let Let's stop talking about Rob Liefeld and just say just, you should get something printed at Lehigh Valley. Apparel. Just go there, Chris. Reject. He's insufferable. He'll never be on this podcast because we won't do what he wants. <laughs> because we bow our knees to no man. If, for whatever reason, what we said have, ha, has interested you and you seek the services of Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, you can go on the internet, on your computer, your you know mobile phone, and you can go to www.xlvav. Nope, that's not right. www.xlvacx.com. Don't let the X's fool you. It's a punk thing. Chris Reject is not a sober human being. He's not straight edge. So go there and check them out. And more importantly, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Um, like we said on the last episode, unlike our – we sort of like tolerate being like associated with Chris Reject. We actually like you guys, and we are actually profoundly grateful for the support you've given us. So thank you. Should have gotten a list of people who subscribe so we can give them a shout-out. This, this, this is the third episode in a row. This is the third episode in a row we've done that. We're terrible people. We don't deserve for you to you know, be our Patreon subscribers, but you are. And for that, we're profoundly thankful. 
Also, if you uh, give us money on Patreon and you're waiting for something and we haven't sent it to you, feel free to respond to the multiple emails we send you asking if you received what you needed to receive. Oh, yeah. You should definitely also find me on social media and harass me. Harass yeah. me till I'm like reduced to tears about this. I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, I, that's a small price to pay. I crave subjugation and you need to <laughs> give it to me. Okay, we that was a little too much. Okay, it was a little just it was actually way too much. I was Tom Hiddleston in the Avengers. Anyway, uh Ashley, you can go first. Have you done anything horror related recently? Have you watched any 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 cool movies or anything like that? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it's it hasn't been long, but it's been I mean, I think the last movie I watched was The Ritual and it took and because of just my schedule, it took kind of three days to like finish because I kept falling asleep on it. And that's not it's not a dig on the movie. It's just um just being tired and older. <laughs> so no, I, but, feel, I feel that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I get that. But it, I didn't love it. But no, I, I enjoyed it. You know. We we really liked it, right? We were really. I'm trying to remember what we said about it. I dug it. I mean, I had weird reasons for liking it that made sense to nobody but me and maybe one other person. But sure, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I like the guy, the main guy, Rafe. Yeah, Rafe. I He's like cool. Him. Um. Well, one thing we mentioned that we can mention on the show. I think we're all watching Channel Zero right now, right? Uh, are yes. are you, Liam? Yeah. Are you watching it? Are you yeah. you're current? I am well. What are they up to? They're up to episode three. Yes, episode three aired on. I think me and Ashley are behind on episode three. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) even though we're only two episodes in, this is the sort of show where I get a vibe from episode one if I'm going to like it or not. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, here's the thing about the show. Okay. Uh, the first season, the penultimate episode of the first season was the night that Donald Trump got elected. So I never finished that season because it freaks me out too much. <laughs> so I, I can't. I was. I'm not even gonna finish it's just it. Such a weird mental association. So because it was the night he got elected, <laughs> you just can't finish it. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm like, I seriously, I've tr- like when I go back and I watch those episodes from the first season, all I think about is that night. Wow, that's amazing. I'm a panicky person. I uh, I'm trying not to judge you. That's fine. I, no, that's not what I mean. I'm trying not to sound like I'm judging you because I'm not judging you. I'm just surprised. Like, I'm legitimately surprised. I'm not surprised. Oh, like, yeah. I'm surprised that you suck. I'm saying I'm actually surprised <laughs> because I found the first season, like, so... I don't know, actually how you felt about the season one. If I were to rank them, and even though season three isn't done now, I would rank it three, one, and two. Um, I don't know. Maybe... It's hard to say because I... I think it's because we're in a digital age now where everything is streaming. I feel like I can pay more attention if I don't have commercials interrupting me or my phone is like right next to my bed. So I'm always looking at it. Like it's weird because if I just, if I just put it on my tablet, like what I've been doing now, especially with sci-fi shows, like I'll watch them on Saturday morning where I have like nothing, no other obligations and nothing else to do specifically if, 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 you know, all things permitted. But basically, to have that concentration where I can really immerse myself into like this crazy show, it, it's better. I'm enjoying it more with just without like watching it live. I don't know if that's that's weird. I don't know if that's a weird thing for people or it's just me. But like, I think I feel like I'm enjoying this uh, this season more than any of the other seasons. Now, I did like the first season, but it's it still is not as grabby. As as this season is now currently, 
this uh this is i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna stay as vague as possible in regards to this the episode that aired on wednesday but um as anyone who's ever watched a movie with me knows i am the worst person to watch horror movies with um i get afraid very easily and very visibly afraid very easily um this most recent episode had in addition to the reoccurring theme of like the crazy imp thing that's been running around in the this season um there was an image of that was very heavily embedded uh in mid to early 2000s horror um that was like a, like a common visual device that they, they use in a lot of movies that they use in this episode that i was like that's the first time that's actually scared me like you know how like we talked about on our um our episode we did with, on jacob's ladder how like the fast head shake was like late 90s early 2000s that was in right. every movie every movie had the head every shake. movie had the head shake there was something that they did in this that they used in a lot of movies from like 2004 till about 2012 it's very technical very precise very specific time um that never scared me but on when they did it on this episode i was just like oh wow okay i'm like this 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 has got me this, this season is definitely um like pedal to the metal, like absolutely surreally terrifying. Um, and I'm way into it because last season I stopped watching after I think four episodes. It just kind of fell off for me. But, uh, yeah, me too. You know, wow, I'm the only person who fucking loved last season. It started no, out strong. No, you're not the only one. Yeah. I mean, in this conversation, yeah, I know people <laughs> like the show, but I mean, like, um, I really liked season one. But it felt a little disjointed to me, but it had a lot of promise. Yes. Season <laughs> two was not as scary as season one, but I found the themes way more resonant. And by the end of the season, I loved it way more than season one. Next level more than season one. And then this season is immediately freaking me the fuck out. <laughs> and I don't know if I love it or if I'm going to be like, I can't do this. If I see Rudger Hauer at a convention, I will be like, back the fuck up, man. I'm <laughs> on to you. I don't need you in my life. Get away from me. Yeah, he's a creepy dude. He's always creepy. Yeah. I, I'm amazed that they just didn't cast him as himself. They're like, it, when he shows up, he's like, yeah, this creepy old guy showed up. They're like, that's Jim Peach. Like, yeah. if they had just been like, that's Rudger Hauer, I'd have been like, fuck it. I'm, that makes sense to me. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say, uh, if you haven't been watching the show at all, I kind of I, I recommend it. I think it's cool. yeah, it's great. Um, I uh, and I, especially when it comes to horror TV, I don't know. I feel like actually, are there some horror TV shows that you're into right now? There's some that you enjoy because I don't. I haven't found any that I really dig. Um, I love The Exorcist. I don't think it's coming back. Um, and oh, you, I was you like, you like The Exorcist, Justin? Right? You like that? Uh, I'm about halfway through the first season, and I I'm I'm into it. Huh. I, I, I was, it. yeah, I was a latecomer to it because I don't know. I was just wasn't like I wasn't you know excited about it when it was first announced or anything like that. So I had the first season spoiled for me. Of course, I won't say it now, but I was like, I think when I had it spoiled for me, I was like, oh, and so that intrigued me, and so I went back and watched sure, it, and then the sure. second season was just as good. See what grabbed what got me was I fall in the camp of and again I'm only I I haven't even finished the first season yet but what got me to watch the show was I fall into the camp of the best exorcist is the third exorcist and one of my friends who's not like a crazy big horror person was like 
yo, you watch that show that, you know, do, do you watch The Exorcist? And I was like, ah, nah, not really. Like, apparently, like, th- this season finale had something to do with The Exorcist 3. What do you know about that? And I was like, don't say anything else. I need to, like, I, I, I mean, I kind of have an inkling as to what scene they probably use from The Exorcist 3 to nod to it, but I'm like, I've, I'm keeping that in front of me. And this, this show is, um, one of the few things that actually made me, there's a scene in the first season where, um, the one character, uh, she's vomiting into the toilet and pulls the centipede out of her throat. Mm-hmm. Almost threw up. I, I almost, I had to like will back vomit after seeing that right. scene. It's centipedes are, ugh. but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm into the exorcist. I'll have to check it out. I, there's not a lot of horror TV I enjoy. Usually when horror makes its way to television, I just can't get into it. I, I I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. But, it's uh, those commercials. I'm telling you, man. Commercials well, no, just screw everything up. I w- <laughs> it, that might be true as far as the pacing, but I don't watch live TV. I don't have access to live TV. Um, the only reason I ever watch anything with commercials is because like I can only watch Viceland shows on Sling, and so Sling has commercials. But like that's it. I don't I don't really get exposed to commercials very much. Um, but uh, but I, I I really like Channel Zero, and I don't know. A lot of people have been saying Exorcist is good, so I guess I'll give it a chance. Yeah, I don't know. There's I, for whatever reason I just haven't really there. I guess there's um. Did either one of you catch that HBO show, The Room One Hundred Four? Is that what it is? Room One Hundred Room Something y- Something. Y- yeah, I've seen a few episodes. It's it's one of those. It's one of those. Uh, like it's not it's not confined to a specific genre or even multiple genres. It's kind of like oh, every genre okay. rolled into okay. one season. So like one episode you'll be getting one thing, and then another episode you'll be getting another thing. Like I feel like the most kind of the the most it got into horror was the episode with Orlando Jones, maybe you oh. know. So it's it's one of those kind of deals. Yeah, but it's very surreal it and way. fantasy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I don't, I, Justin. I don't think you have either. I haven't been able to watch any movies lately. Uh, no, all I've been doing is, um, I mean, I, the only movie I really watched was I, I, I'm still hankering for, I'm, I'm still not over my Wakanda craving. So I watched Civil War the other night. Sure. That's, that's the only movie I watched. Um, I do want to say in the realm of horror, it's not watching anything, but in light of the fact that, uh, Lock and Key has been greenlit. The television series. I'm rereading the comic series, and it's, I mean, it's incredible. I don't know if you guys have read. Never, never. Don't oh, even know anything about it. Really? Oh, you should check it out. It's um, I believe it's six or seven trade paperbacks. Uh, you guys, you know who Joe Hill is? He's Steve, Stephen King, Stephen King's yes. son. Yeah, yes. <laughs> he wrote horns. this. Yeah, horns. Nosferatu. Nosferatu. That sounds. Ter- I don't even know what that is. That sounds. Terrible. <laughs> no, it's a book he wrote that is in the Stephen King universe. I'm even less interested. Okay, and he, shut up, Liam. <laughs> anyway, he do, he does he did a comic called Lock and Key, and it's incredible. Um, just check it out. It's 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 wrapped up. Like I said, I believe it's six or seven trade paperbacks. It's a great read. Um, the art is amazing, and it's super compelling. It's awesome. That but that's all I've been doing is I'm about halfway through that series again. I appreciate that. The mm. only other thing I've been doing vaguely horror related, though some would argue that this was one of the things that killed horror in book form, is I've, for the first time ever, been reading uh, Red Dragon. Really? Never read it. Familiar with Manhunter the movie. Familiar with 
uh, obviously Silence of the Lambs. Familiar with then the Red Dragon that was the remake, you know, yes. or whatever. Uh, know all those things. Never read a single one of this dude's books. Yeah, why it's, would you read his books? So they got the movie. You could just watch the movie. Why would you read a book if you could watch is, a movie? I'm reading it, and uh, it, I'm pretty wrapped up in it. Even having seen now two movie versions of this story and a chunk of the TV show Hannibal, I'm still reading the book going... How does this wrap up again? I don't understand how we're going to – we're really close to the end of this book, and I have no idea how we're going to get there. I, I I don't know if I just wiped it. I mean, I saw a fucking Red Dragon in the theater, yeah. and I have no memory of how this shit ends. And it might be – that might be because the book is completely different from the movie. I don't know. All I know is that, like I said, I've got like 50 pages left, and I'm like, I don't know what we're – I don't know what's going to happen. So – um, I don't know. I'm into, I'm into it. And that's a, I bring that up to say thank you because that book was, uh, given to me by, uh, Adriana, uh, Gober. And I really appreciate it. That was a nice present. I saw the Black Panther with her last week. Oh, we, yeah. We ran true. into each other at the concession stand. It was a pleasant surprise. She sat next to me. She's excited about Hurricane Heist. I am not. You seen the trailer for Hurricane Heist? Yeah. That yeah. looks terrible. I know. Okay, we don't have to dig up. We don't need to give. <laughs> this is not a hurricane heist. We don't podcast. need a viral market hurricane. Yeah, this heist. is not hurricane heist business. Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately, yeah, for, yeah. If Adriana has her way, it will be. Uh, hey, so um, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk to Ashley a little bit about uh, Grey Virtue of Sisters, and then we're gonna talk about three short films that she, let's be honest, chose for us because we are ignorant and we couldn't have found these movies on our own. Um, but that we are really excited to do talk about. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Are we, are we still recording? <laughs> right. 
And we are back. We are back. You guys missed some golden commentary on Liam being a poser about it's Prince. I am. Such a poser. I didn't know. Uh, oh, I don't even want to. I can't. It makes me sick to even talk about. Man's never heard Poom Poom. It's fucking Prince, one of Prince's greatest songs. Anyway, uh, Ashley, as our esteemed guest, um, just talk about talk about Graveyard Shift Sisters. Well, and I think it's, I mean, you already said, but it's the first of its kind to specifically focus on black women in horror. But I also think you've, you've made a choice that it's not just a fan site, right? Like you are doing, in some sense, academic work. Is that a fair characterization? That's it. That's right on the money. I, I honestly, I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I first started. Um, I just knew that, um, I was a minority within a minority and, you know, on top of that, uh, noticing like, you know, the few things, the few things that were being accomplished and created, um, that spoke to, um, black representation in horror was not being covered as much. And even the little minute things like just listening to podcasts and they would talk about a movie that had black characters and specifically black female characters, but they were overlooked. And it's this, it's this kind of idea, um, just doing the research I've done. Um, Dr. Kenitra Brooks talks about it and she's written a book about it recently. It's, it's been finally published. And she kind of talked about how black women have this um, absent presence in horror. They're, we're invisible, but we're still there. Right. And I think that's really um, profound. And it's so true because we are so overlooked. I mean, it, it kind of, this is kind of a, a, a part of a bigger issue. I think when it, when it just, how it feels to be a black woman in the world, not just America. And, um, I think I didn't, like I said, I really did not know what I was doing when I first started, but I knew I wanted to kind of shed light on our presence within this community. And I thought it was really important. And just because I just had that passion for wanting to show people that I existed. I found all of these other, not just fans, but, you know, visual artists, filmmakers, academics. And, you know, because I spent, a, I, I be perfectly honest, I spent a lot of time um, in college because I did not want to get out in the real world and get a real job. And I eventually had to, but I also really loved the work I was doing. It took a lot of like, you know, doing a little different things as an undergrad to really figure out what I loved doing. And that was writing. And that was, um, um, being in, being in the liberal arts culture. And, and basically, as far as my university was concerned, it was kind of like, you know, you kind of, we'll give you the tools and we'll be the, your support, but you kind of create your own whatever you, you make what out of this, what you want. And so that's why there was one of the reasons why I really enjoyed being a student. And I just kind of used all of that and just, it kind of like naturally came into this. And so now more so it is definitely more focused on the academic aspect, but also kind of still, um, since day one, it's, I'm still wanting to reach out to other women, um, who, are doing creative work in this, in this industry and kind of give them a, um, give them a spotlight and let people know about who they are and why their work is important. That's pretty amazing. And I think, um, it was such a revelation when I found Graveyard Shift Sisters because it's something that I think we kind of know. I don't know. I, it, for people who pay attention to race, who pay attention to gender, who pay attention to various other kind of identity issues that are present in media, especially in genre film, 
I think we all kind of knew that this was true, but your site was the first one to not only highlight that we weren't talking about the presence of these amazing women, but also um, not talking about the uh, ways that they are impacting and have impacted horror. Um, and I remember one of the first things that uh, really drew me to that was this, you, you've put together a variety of syllabi uh, to speak about specific issues facing horror that horror needs to think about, that horror academics should be thinking about, uh, that film academics should be thinking about. And I really appreciate that because it was not a listicle. It wasn't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a, a lot of other websites, fan sites that have good intentions, everything is done with this like pop culture vernacular. And I don't, I, I'm okay with pop culture as the topic we're talking about. We're talking about horror movies here, but you can think through horror movies in a way. And it, again, not that what you're, you're writing is inaccessible. You're, you're not like, you know, Foucault writing about a horror movie over here. <laughs> it's very much accessible writing, but you're engaging them with actual research and actual thought. Um, and again, I'm not saying that to bash other writers. There are some writers that are, you know, supremely entertaining who aren't interested in doing that kind of research. But to that, the fact that you were doing it for this specific topic, like really impacted me. So I really appreciate that site. Thank you. I, yeah, I didn't know. I, I, again, I had no clue. I was just kind of letting everything, whatever guide me. And, and it just kind of became something that it is. And it's a brand. It's not, I, I was just a facilitator and I really feel like I really want to and want people, especially black women, to feel like this is for us and this is a part of how we contribute to the genre that we love. That some, not all of it, some, but the horror fans that with the black women horror fans that we love this and we're creators as well. I really appreciate that. And so um, we've wanted to have you on for a while, but we knew that, you know, February is what's this is this should be interesting for you and what you're doing. February is both Women in Horror Month and Black Heritage Month. So isn't that isn't that that's so (laughs) it seems to combine a lot of what you're doing. Interesting. And so um, it seemed like a great time to have you on. And I thought it was very insightful of you that you didn't go for something like Ganjin Hess or uh, a movie in which there's like a side character who is a black woman. Not that these women's impact isn't huge, but when we were like, what do you want to talk about? You specifically wanted to talk about uh, black women directors and the short films that they've made. Um, why these films? Why did you choose these films, these women and, and why not a feature film? So, yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like there's been enough, not a, not enough, I shouldn't say enough, but I feel like there have been podcasts here and there that have covered like the big films, especially black exploitation horror. There have been, um, there have been some really good podcast episodes that I've listened to that I've really enjoyed and, and ha- with them to kind of talking about it. Um, but I kind of wanted to do something different more so because this year, um, I was able to kind of curate this kind of whole, 28 days of black women horror filmmakers and so i kind of really wanted to stay in tune with that because i'm so hyper focused on it now and trying to plug everything and get everything out each day for um for people who follow the brand so just being immersed in that i feel like you know no i don't feel like almost anyone really maybe maybe not talks about these um I guess talk about these films enough. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to make like essential statements like no one or this one or that one. I don't want to do that. I'm trying to like, you know, find the right verbiage for this. But again, it's not, 
it's not something I, I don't see these women and their names and their movies ran down my timeline and given like so much love and so many retweets and so many likes. And so, again, it goes back to that kind of underrepresentation or not representate rep- represented at all. And I kind of wanted to, um, you know, again, emphasize put emphasis on the fact that like, you know, especially in light of like Tracy Oliver who wrote Girls Trip and who was on, who was um the bitchy boss on, oh, the bitchy coworker on um, Awkward Black Girl. And she's now like, you know, getting her, 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 her rung um, in Hollywood, get, being able to do bigger projects and like her really loving horror and wanted to, wanting to do horror and still hearing from executives that don't even think black women watch horror films. Um, and also to Nana That's Reef actually do. crazy, by the way. Yeah. It, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it, that's such an out of touch statement to make, but um, but again, it kind of I, I guess it kind of speaks to like this larger culture of who is seen as a black horror. F- I'm sorry, not as a black horror, f- but as a horror fan in general. And I think that's kind of the personal, the more negative experiences I've had as a black woman because people see me and they think that they know who I am. Right. And when I challenge them, and I I have. I have my weight of knowledge about horror. It threatens people. It, 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 that's uh, that I've had those really experience where people have been really nasty to me because I'm just completely blowing the world. And I think that's sad. And, um, well, I think it's, I mean, a, I don't think the horror community is particularly welcoming to women period. Yeah. And, and B the horror community, um, at least in the majority of it, though I think there are places this isn't true, but in the majority of the horror community, it is a white-dominated community, and a, and a white-dominated community that doesn't want to talk about issues of race, it's, let alone issues of gender, sexuality, class, all these things, which, by the way, the filmmakers want to talk about because it's in the fucking movies. Well, here's, here's, <laughs> Thank here, you. Here, here's the thing. Uh, all cards on the table, full confession. We were supposed... I wanted to do, for Black History Month, I wanted to do Candyman and the People Under the Stairs. Sure. But then uh, when Liam had said that you would want it to be on here, I was like, okay, that, that'll actually probably be more appropriate because the more I thought about it, it's like uh, Candyman is based on a short story by a lily white English guy right? where a white woman is like both the uh, – it's still about a theme that when people really think about it, they, they should be uncomfortable with. Yeah, um, sure, sure, but Candyman does do something no, no, that doesn't it does, happen in horror it, movies it, in that it films in a play – like horror movies ignore the city in some ways. Yes. Like at least mm-hmm. horror, Candyman – so I want to defend it a little bit, but you're right. Yeah, it's yeah. certainly it, not it, it has, an example of a it, creative – you know what I mean? It, it, it still treats – for me, even watching this movie as a kid, I still felt that it, it, it sort of viewed an interracial relationship as something transgressive. And that's something that – um I, I've never been 100% okay with. And then the people under the stairs, again, created by, you know, Wes Craven, good intentions or not, it's still created by like an old white guy. Um, but I, I, I do have to admit that, um, you know, I've always con- considered myself a rather progressive person. And then I, you know, leading up to this episode, I've really thought about it. I'm like, no, like all, all the quote unquote progressive horror movies I watch, you know, like how when George Romero passed away a few years, uh, last year and, Jordan Peele made the um the tweet about you know George started it you know with the the picture of um Ben from the the OG Night of the Living Dead and then uh when I really thought about it, I was like no I'm always thinking about like black men in movies like I don't really I felt like sort of guilty I guess because I wasn't aware of too many uh 
black women in horror movies. And I'm kind of glad that we're doing this because it's like I want to I want to see more creators and 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 that representation in in, in horror films, and I want to be exposed to more of it. And I think more people should. And I I, I think uh, I'm glad that we can I guess kind of contribute to it for people who are listening. I mean, hopefully, people who listen to our show kind of know that these films exist. But I know, at least for me, um, I would have maybe found. Uh, uh, wait, let me let me get it right. The I, I can't get it right. <laughs> the one on Shutter. Yeah, I would have found that because it's on Shutter. Yeah. So like, big ups to Shutter for putting short films on Shutter. Yes. But the other two, like, I don't search Vimeo, and if it wasn't actually for your site and your tweets and your promoting these people, I don't see a lot of other websites writing about these directors. No, and and it's like if if podcasts like ours aren't talking about these projects. It's hard. I mean, let's be honest. Like, getting a film attention is a fucking cutthroat. Yeah. You know, it's not an easy thing to do for anybody, let alone black women. You know. I, and just seeing, like, uh, we we kind of touched upon this the episode we did with um the lit crick guy. How it's like, you know, in 2017, how like you know, Get Out came out, and I was like, we've we've come around a corner. Like, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna make it. Like, the genre is gonna be taken seriously. People are gonna open their eyes. Like, yes, we're here. And then I would go on Facebook in these Facebook groups, and people would be like, Yeah, I didn't really like Get Out. You know, you know why. And it's like, Oh, God damn it, man. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I, there have been several Facebook groups I've been banned from because I've, I've straight up been like, Oh, you didn't like Get Out? You're probably racist. And they're just like, You're not allowed to post here anymore. And I'm like, Cool. See you later. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of like, this past year has been both like affirming and been like, oh god damn it, why? Like they're bringing it's the it's like they're bringing out the worst in the uh, in in the genre, and it really is highlighting how um, pale the fan base is as as a whole. Oh, god damn <laughs> it's true. Yeah, no, I you know what I mean. Like people get so like I, I've I've had people I've seen people straight up say like, Get Out isn't a horror film because it's not scary. And I remember seeing that. I remember seeing that movie with like my black coworker, and I was shook by it. And I looked over at him, and he was just like, "I'm the." I mean, dude's not like a big horror fan. He only went with me to, to just you know go because like, oh, it's Justin. You know, the he culture. and I can bond. Yeah, you know, he's like he wants to hang out with me, and he was just like, "I'm never. You know, I don't like. This is why I don't. This is why I don't like horror movies." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh no, I, I get that. Like, I totally, I, I get it. Like, I mean, I don't get it, but it's like I see. You know, I can only imagine." Oh, that, that's, okay, that's a lot. But like, yeah, I, um, I'm, well, first and foremost, I'm, that's why I'm glad I'm not on Facebook. So thank you, thank goodness for that. But basically, yes. yeah, I mean, that movie made, made, makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Even recently listening to a podcast and hearing people like, you know, love it. It's a part of their top 10, yet there's still this discomfort with them kind of talking about it. I think because again, um, I just recently went to, um, Brooklyn and I saw a, a presentation on black car and about how, you know, black. Oh my car- God. Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Cause I wanted to go and then I couldn't go and it made me very sad. Sure. Um, from what I, from what I really, um, grabbed from it and what I really liked with, um, I can never pronounce her name. Right. I feel like it's Dianka. I'm probably saying that wrong, but forgive me, Dianka. But basically, I like how she approaches, how she demonstrates that black horror, like we have, you know, we have film theory that talks about, like Laura Movey talks about the male gaze and things like that. And, but I think what film has shown historically is that, you know, 
the modes of like culture and different people from different cultures and races and ethnic heritage heritages like you know it's through this white gaze and it's never from it's it's never from the um it hasn't been from you know the the people who are actually being represented essentially so what black horror does is it subverts the white gaze basically and it gives it shows it it it's sim- it simply it, it shows um like you know Jordan Peele for example really using Chris as a protagonist he's he's the character that you identify with you're seeing the you're seeing you're experiencing what he's experiencing through his through his experience essentially so you know I think I, I I'm assuming what is making people so uncomfortable about Get Out is because you can't. You can't put racism in that neat little box that peop that you know media likes to think that you could do with it, like with all of the you know, civil, the civil rights films and like you know Mississippi burning and all those kinds of films like you know racism was so packaged for you and you could identify and it was so it was it was easy you, there was no kind of uh blurry lines when it came to it essentially and so what I think get out does is it kind of shows that you know it's racism is through you coming up to me and saying, do you like Tiger Woods? You know, I know you like Tiger Woods or, you know, even from personal experience, I'm like, Oh, you look like you can dance. Oh, you listen to little Kim, right? Like those kinds of little, like those microaggressions and, um, uh, uh, you, you know, all of these little things that he puts into the film where, you know, he really shows di- different aspects of racism and how Pete and how, people of color are essentially othered and how that's dangerous. And he puts it in this kind of fantastical um, realm where, you know, I, I don't know if we're still doing spoilers or not, but you know, every, you almost can spoil everyone, it at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone has seen the movie. So I think that's why it makes people feel uncomfortable because they're seeing themselves through the eyes of these antagonists and they're culpable and they probably are guilty of doing these things to people of color. And I don't think the movie is trying to, and again, that's, really non-nuanced thinking. You have to be a more critical thinker than that. Give yourself a little bit more credit, you know, own up to the fact that you've done this and kind of, you know, have a dialogue and a discourse with yourself about how can I change? And I think that's part of what the movie does. I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like I was rambling, but no, uh, I, we I was, support rambling on this podcast. Yes. I mean, <laughs> if you've ever, if you ever, if you ever have the quote unquote, I won't call it privilege because it's not of talking to me in person, um, ask me about, ask me about fire in the sky. If you ever meet me in person, you will see rambling. Uh, but what I wanted to say was, uh, I think I, when, when Liam did a screening of get out here at Lafayette, um, I, one of the things I really liked about get out and one, one of the things I, I, I said was basically, um, most white people, they view racism as the clan. They view racism as, uh, Nazi skinheads. They view it as Hitler. They don't view race as racism as, you know, a liberal white woman saying, oh, it's such a shame about Trayvon Martin. Like, I mean, it's it's really a shame that he just didn't listen to, to George Zimmerman. He'd be alive right now. Like, oh, to Lord. me, that's far more that's that's as monstrous as like Sig Heiling. Like, you know what I mean? It's 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 mm-hmm. it's like it's it's what I don't think I don't think we are comfortable with um, admitting that like racism has sort of infiltrated literally every aspect of our lives and most white people they don't want to think about that because they understand that racism is bad but they don't want to you know admit that it's like it's sort of like uh you just you can't um 
I, I, it, it, it's, it's so deep rooted that it's like you can, you have to admit it and you have to do what you can to overcome, you know, overcome it, but you can't say that you're not guilty of it. Well, I think that's true of not just, I would say that that's not even just true of white people. Like, we don't want to admit as people of color sometimes how white supremacy affects how we see ourselves or see oh, each man, other. Oh, man, yeah. That, like, you know, that someone can literally say, like, I literally hear students say, oh, I've never directly experienced white supremacy, and then also say, sometimes I feel bad about how dark my skin is or how my hair looks. Like, <laughs> ayo, when you feel that way, that's just that's not just something that's in your brain. That's white supremacy working itself yes. out in your psyche. Yes. And, like, that's something we don't realize. And I think, honestly, Get Out points at that, too, those subtle ways that they're incorporating themselves into his reality is part of what that story is about. But uh, this podcast is not about Get Out. We're actually talking about <laughs> three uh, female directors. And so I think it's probably a good time for us to jump into talking about their movies. I think we're going to start with Wake, right? Yes. Let's... Yeah, uh, I- I did, yeah. So I'm sorry. I did kind of go left from center with that. I think, um, I forgot to answer your kind of question about like why I picked these movies. Oh, that's true. I oh, forgot. Shit, yeah. I forgot to follow up on that. <laughs> why did you pick that. these movies? No, that's okay. Well, I did kind of answer it, but, um, I feel all three of them, I think all three of them are different. Um, I feel like, uh, in, I think different in theme and, um, but they all kind of have this, yeah. I don't know. I'm really bad at talking about movie about movies in a, in a technical sense, but um, more or less. But I, I picked. I, I honestly, I picked the three that came to the, to my head when you asked me to be perfectly honest. But I did want to pick three, um, th- three um, f- female film, black female filmmakers with um, relatively different backgrounds and um, different approaches to the stories that they were telling. So I mean, it's it's just as general and generic as that. But yeah. And also they were available streaming. Yeah, well, that's actually – the availability aspect is actually very huge because there's probably even more directors we could watch if we could even get some of their stuff. Um, but uh, the availability is – it's good that we can actually find these these particular ones. So Wake, uh, Wake it was directed by Bree Newsom, Newsom, who I assume is not the Bree Newsom who took down their no, flag. No, it was. It is, yeah. yeah. It is? Yep. Really? Yeah. She's my fucking hero. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, why is Brie Newsome so cool? I'm kind of mad at her now. <laughs> because she's apparently, because I've heard people say she's also an amazing speaker, so she's uh, an impressive director. She's clearly got more balls than I do. Yes. And uh, and from what I hear, she's a super engaging speaker. So talk about this movie. How did you first engage? Like, where did you first see this? How did you hear about it? it um, it was so long ago. I'm not, I don't quite remember, but it was definitely one of the first available um, streaming films I saw that was directed by a black woman. And, you know, I, what I what I also like to um, always emphasize, and um, I'm I'm not alone in this. I'm glad um, other academics and other um, women who create horror, in a sense, um, talk about how this film is, is what you would call kind of a southern gothic horror film. And um, I just I, I liked for me as someone who um, who loves film in general and has. And, you know, has watched a film like Eve's Bayou and kind of seen the kind of value in its and its supernatural elements, but also um, 
also as a family drama, but also it's supernatural elements and kind of like, you know, I'm like, oh, this is something really cool and different and new because it's something, you know, back in 1997, I had never really seen before centered around black women. Um, and so Brie Newsome comes out of nowhere with this, um, not probably comes out of nowhere. I think it was a student film, but basically it comes out of nowhere for me with this really like amazingly shot beautifully lit, engaging film that kind of talks. It's interesting because um, I'm taking Tanana Reedu's um, Black Horror course online and she did a, what is wait, it? Wait, wait, you can take that online? Yeah, you didn't know. <laughs> no, I would have already been up on it. Yeah, it's a, you could still, I don't, I think you can still, there's video. I know that for sure. There's video of the lectures, but basically. Side note, would, uh, Tanana yeah. Reedu, if you ever listen to this podcast, we'd love to have you on. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Yeah, you could. Uh, so she was talking to Dr. Kenesha Brooks again, another um, Southern Black woman who does a lot of work um, as an academic in, in horror. And what I look, and she talked, and again, this is why I think all three, all three of these films address something very um, different and unique to Black women, but particularly Wake. What I love about it, and I was telling someone er- earlier because Kenesha had brought it up, and um, you know, not too long ago. Oh my gosh, so many different things. Okay, so like two things. So like not too long ago, there was like these these videos and these like news exclusive and articles about how black women ain't gonna never get married, how black women ain't gonna never find no man. And it's so interesting because also just connecting the dots, I was recently listening to an older podcast where this um, statistician um, who, who she's really well known. She works for different um, big um, res- um, sources and publications, how she was kind of talking about how she was collecting data on for example, I think it was it was one of those big dating websites, and um, she was looking at the desirability of different people as far as race and gender. And black women and Asian men were at the bottom of the rung. So I, yeah, and I what I found really what I found really interesting about Wake, even um, personally as a black woman, and again when you talked about how that um, that per- how maybe one of your students has feels some type of way about their hair about their hair texture and their skin color. I mean, it has a lot to do with that, right? It has a lot to do with like you know do I, am I, am I desirable? Like, and I think what, with the, the main character, um, Charmaine, I believe her name is in wake was this, I, I, it, 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 for me, it digs at that deeper ideology of how black women are not seen as desirable and how we, we, you know, there's, there's no, I don't know if I'm saying this right. I'm or, or, well, or articulately, des- but desirability is something that people study a lot. And it's what's interesting about desirability is that it's one of those intersectional places where race, class, and gender all smush together. So that we want to appear a certain way, we want to perform certain emotional labor, we want to see appear to be certain kinds of people and that that relates to um, skin color and hair texture. It also relates to being able to financially take care of yourself or, or whatever, or it relates to how genders or, or people of the same gender, but how we perform gender, whether like in order to be desirable, we have to appear mm-hmm. strong or vulnerable or does, you know, in other words, that desirability is this weird concept in into which sex and gender and race and class all smush together and create all kinds of issues for us because the reality is whatever kind of people you are attracted to whatever gender or non-gender you are attracted to desirability is probably still on your mind that at some level almost every human wants to feel desirable by someone even if 
it that's a variety of people who they want to feel desirable to. Yeah, so I think that movie I think this movie definitely relates to that, but I like how um how Brie infuses the idea of root work and, you know, get it, getting what you want and not in a in a quote unquote unnatural manner and how that has consequences. I think um but Tanana Reeve when she talks about black horror, she talks about how um black horror specifically focuses on, you know, these um non-Christian and African um, and kind of a mix of African and European and, and Caribbean traditions of, um, of magic and root work and how those things kind of combined and uh, cre- create these. Um, and so you see folk magic kind of manifest throughout, throughout, throughout these films um, based on the, based on the different circumstances for this one, we're kind of talking about a woman who, uh, you know, f- he doesn't give her father his heart medicine and kills him in order to, you know, she goes to these great dark lengths in order to get a man. And, and what the, and I think what the three women in the film represent, they represent that kind of, you know, that, that societal barking in your ear. I'm like, Oh, if you're a certain age, you have to be, have a husband, you have to have kids or you're, you ain't shit. And, you know, and those, are, those are the voices that are in my head too. You know, sometimes I'm right. not going to lie. It, it's just, that's just, I think I also just think I think that's uh, 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 an issue of just being human as well. It's just like and just in the in this particular society and you feel some type of way sometimes. And it's a really hard fought battle to not feel like you have to be in a certain place at a certain time in your life. And I think that's a societal pressure, especially for Charmaine, probably kind of got to her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's willing to do all kinds of horrible things. But what's interesting is we don't hear from her like. She doesn't get into what I think other horror movies might have done that would have dragged the movie down is a fucking monologue from her about why it's okay for her to perform dark magic. You know what I mean? Like we get a picture of where she's at because of people's response to her. Yes, that was very insightful. I was going to say I I I liked how the 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 the, um the three gossipy women. Uh, there was sort of like a Greek chorus almost. Right. Oh right, right, right. That were like that's how we we uh what's the main character's name? Charmaine, I believe. Char- yeah, Charmaine, Charmaine. Yeah. That, that that's how we we got insight into Charmaine was like from these outsiders' perspective telling us what she was thinking, and then like just now it dawned on me like we don't know her actual motivations. We're just basing it on like there's like the one good-hearted woman, and then there's the one lady who was like the shit talker who I want to say was amazing. And oh, the performances in this movie are spot are on. incredible. Um. No, but it was just it was it was an interesting thing how um, Newsom sort of we gained insight. I guess I would you consider the, the those three women? Would you consider them unreliable narrators? No, no because not necessarily. E- no, but they but they what what they're giving us insight into is that community they're giving us context yes yes we don't need a bunch of backstory yeah all they say is all we need to understand where charmaine is at and why charmaine's doing what she's doing okay yeah i can gotcha but i think what part of what's really interesting about it for me um is there's a tragic feeling to the to it in that uh, Leading into Charmaine casting this magic, doing this magic, right? Uh, and being visited by a haunting figure. Yes. Yeah. You know, whether that's a demon or the devil or some other or just a witch or what. 
Woo, yeah, just a just a creepy thing for us to you know a creepy performance for the film. Um, regardless of what it is, going into that situation, there's as dark as it is. There's a sense of power, right? Because the the three women have sort of painted a picture for us that's not very hopeful, and so as disturbing as it is the move that Charmaine makes, she's claiming power in a system that seems to be denying her power. Absolutely. Which, which makes the story then tragic because as soon as Scary Lady shows up, let's say let's say Satan, yeah. I don't know if that's true, but that character shows up, I'm like, this is fucked. This is what this movie's going to be is a bad end for Charmaine. There's no out for Charmaine. There's not... the The, the depth of that performance let me know Oh, this is not going to go well. There's no trick. You know, sometimes a movie might be like about you get something from the devil and then you trick the devil into letting you get away with your soul. This movie, mm-hmm. as soon as that character showed up, I'm like, nah, this says, is going to go bad. She says flat out, you needed a doc, you needed a dentist and went to an eye doctor. Like, uh, that yeah. is one of the, that is such a haunting line because I think it really shows that, like, she knows exactly what she's doing. Right. You know what I mean? She yeah. knows exactly what she's doing, but at the same time, um, she's still misguided, and that's so not misguided. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Well, I mean, it's she's tr- wrong. I don't think the movie defends her actions. No, no, no. But she's still she's not being misled by anything. Like she think, knows what she's doing. I think. Yeah, the general gist of especially this particular kind of magic. Um, and even I've seen it in like general horror movies. Like I've right. seen, you know, it's the idea of if you go into any kind of magic with deception or even not, you know, it, you're, it's going to have consequences. And I think that's kind of the general gist of this as well, especially because she, she went into it with, um, you know, she put she, with lies on top of lies, you know, how, cause I, cause just rewatching it again, I'm just like, wait a minute, how are you going to lie to a demon? It, it already knows if it can <laughs> feel your father's essence from the dirt, it's going to know that you're lying about how you, how you died. So I thought that was really, um, I thought it was really interesting too. I kind of like the, I kind of like the idea of um, playing around with that as well. It's not, it's, I don't think it's necessarily a morality tale, but it is, but I, well, I think what it does show is that if you're going to tread with root work, you have to, you have to tread lightly and be very delicate with it. Um, and it, while it is empowering, you still are kind of beholden to it because it is a power within itself. Well, and I think that she does something. She does something dark to get what she wants, right? And um, I think, though, it's not like a morality like, oh, and now she's whatever. I do think it is um, – there's a tragedy there because – and again, we don't want to sp- – I mean, it's hard not to spoil a short film because there's not much more to talk about. But I do think, like, you get a sense like, oh, the part of this story is the sadness of how this is going to end up. And to me, the way it ends up without saying it directly is not cruel as much as it is sad. You know, it's not sometimes in a movie like this, the end could be cruel. Yes. And sometimes that's justified. So for example, uh, the racist guy from tales from the hood. (laughs) Oh, the guy, the guy who shot Brandon Lee or no Corbin Burnson. Yeah. What anything that happens to Corbin Burnson is great. You're just like that's great. If I great. see Corbin, Cor- Corbin Burnson on the street, I'm spitting in his face. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the kind of story where in which the bad is actually the, guy the good. Who killed that's Lee. not this story. His name's the, Michael Massey. What am I doing? This story is more. 
you understand that what she did was dangerous and bad, but you still feel for how it works. Out. Like, I'm not at the yeah, end like, absolutely. oh, that's right. You got your fucking come up. It's, it's I, like, oh, man. I actually, the scene where it's a, it's like at night and right. he kisses her. Um, first off, technically from a cine, cine, like a cinematography viewpoint, cinemagraphic viewpoint, I don't know if that's a word I made up. We'll go with it, though. That was really scary. That was oh, like, yeah. because. Oh, it, yeah. Oh, would you just see like the the moonshine and oh, the, 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 yeah, the moonshine, the moonlight. I, I was just like, oh, I'm not seeing anything, but this is like, this is, this is tremendously effective. It's also very sad because you can sense how afraid she is. Mm-hmm. You can sense that she understands the situation she has gotten herself into and how fucking off the rails things have gone. Uh, and again, that doesn't, it, it 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 it's it's more sad than it is uh gruesome or you know like scary in the end but i think uh one thing ashley pointed out that i want to highlight too and i think you mentioned it as well justin is that knowing that this is a student film makes me upset because this is a good looking movie oh it's beautiful it, it's well shot it's well lit and not only that the performances the guy who is her dream man who turns out to be her nightmare man mm-hmm. is great. Yes, she uh, uh, Charmaine is great. Everyone's but, great. Yeah, it's just I I think that it's one of those things where um, I don't know if there's enough here to do a full like feature version of this movie, but the cast and Brie Newsom as a director is enough that I'm like. What I want a movie with these. You know what I mean? Like I I, I, think- I want I want this group of people to make a movie here i think this movie in itself it's good enough to exist as a short film sure uh, not 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 to go off on a tangent i think I, I think a lot of short films they only work because they're short films uh case in point lights out great short film horrible movie you know horrible <laughs> unwatchable full-length film this movie was like just streamlined and sleek and just boom 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 it was everything a movie needed to be um I, I I would like to see Bree Newsom direct a full length film. Like, give me all of that. Yeah, I want to see like uh, like a. I, I do want to see like a full length from her. I just don't know if I want to see a full this movie extrapolated into a full length because no, I, no, that's I think it saying. might that's distill fair. something that makes this movie great. I think it might take away from it. Yeah. No, I don't think this story needs to be a feature length. But I think this group of people. I mean, I've this isn't something I watched and thought. Oh, I've seen these people in other things like. This whole group of people could make a different movie together that was a feature, and I absolutely. Uh, let's in the in the in the essence of essence? oh, r- real quick, I Go just want to say the scene where the demon, where she steps right up to the chalk line, that was just like just a good right. like that was. I there was just something about that that was so like, not sexy, but sort of just like I'm gonna go as far as I can go. And we're going to see what happens. Like there was just something that was like, just like deliciously wanton about that. Just like going right up to where she could, as far as she could go. And then talking shit. Like I just loved right. it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was good. All right. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about a movie I know that got under your skin, uh, Justin. Oh and my I God. know it got a little bit under my skin. Uh, Ashley, I'm going to assume it probably got under yours as well. And that's uh, Paralysis. <laughs> now who directed Paralysis? Uh, 
let me oh god um <laughs> let me get my my I, I usually have my laptop open but no i don't want to do the imdb app uh this was directed by r shanae williams okay good 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 who i follow now on twitter Oh, good! What a beautiful world we live in, where where that happens. <laughs> um, what, what, what's what's paralysis about, Justin? Uh, well, f- first off, Ashley, I, let me. I want I want to know what what made you decide to to, to to choose this movie. It's one of my um, it's 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 one of my favorite um horror films, horror shorts, uh, horror films directed by a black woman. I mean, um, what I like about it is. Again, not only has it inspired me to write multiple things on it, um, but I I like, first, okay, um, Robin's first first film was called Contamination, and um, she randomly sent me that film. I think just via email where we kind of started connecting and I watched it and I was blown away by how good contamination was. I mean, like really kind of like floored, um, not because I had any doubt in her ability, but just because it, she has, I think what, um, Robin does is she has the ability to, she's, I think she has, I think she has a really strong grip on how to create characters and how to create mood and tone and, and set that and um, create suspense out of that, you know, create a deeply sympathetic character um, and surround them with this looming terror. That's pretty unsettling. And she does it in a way that I don't know. I mean, it, I think it's personal for everybody, but it really gets under my skin. And that's why contamination struck with me so much because I, I like what she, I like. What I like what Robin does is she creates these characters that are isolated in a, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And the fact that she uses black women really kind of speaks to even a broader <laughs> makes makes an even broader um, statement. Um, and so that's why I chose it. And um, I think you mentioned earlier, Justin, about how like I don't know if it was you either you or Liam, but basically how you there's she she really plays with the idea of the unseen and I, and that's just, it's, it's still a brilliant mechanism if it can, if you can do it right. Yeah. Th- this, this movie, um, we've talked about it on, on the show before. And this is one of the, this is, this is definitely a subject that I've been accused of over intellectualizing horror movies when it comes to it. Uh, there is a difference between horror and terror. Um, I think most horror movies, in order to like the most effective horror movies, have been movies that have ex- used the exercise of terror. Uh, again, I've quoted Stephen King before. The difference between terror and horror is terror is being in a room in a dark room with a corpse. Horror is the feeling of bumping into the corpse. This movie, every second of this movie is just laden with terror. Um. It, it, it really, oh, I can't even, <laughs> it, um, the, the way it's shot, um, the way it isolates Jessica, um, everything about this, it, I mean, basically what this is about, I'll just say the, 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 the IMDb summary, because you should go into this movie completely blind otherwise. The IMDb summary is meet Jessica, she's not getting any sleep tonight, and just go and go, go to it from there. Um, I think what made this movie truly frightening to me is um, anyone who's spoken to me knows that I have, as a child, I had an interest in the quote-unquote paranormal. And 
in the past few years, there's been this upsurge in interest uh, in the idea of sleep paralysis. Like suddenly everyone has sleep paralysis. Uh, and uh, it's basically sleep paralysis. It's pathological. It's, it's, it's your brain not fully switching into waking mode. So you're, you can't move, but you're like wide awake. And oftentimes there's hallucinations. Um, a lot of people think that's where the phenomenon of non-human abduction, which is what layman terms for it. That's what people call alien abduction. Uh, that's where they think that comes from is the idea that you get the feeling there's someone in the room with you or, or something in the room with you and you can't move. And then when you're wide awake, the feeling goes away. Um, it also deals with the, uh, I, I think a theme that made it so scary for me was questioning one's own sanity is it's never really explained what she's gone through. Um, but through the character of her father, um, it's sort of alluded that she has some, 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 something of a troubled past. Uh, and I, I think the idea of experiencing, like having these very terrifying experiences and not knowing what is scarier are, is it an external force acting upon you? Is there actually something in the room with you? Is there something that's like visiting you at night or is it all in your own head? I think is such a scary idea. We talked about it in the episode we did and uh, they look like people like to me, um, that's that's such a terrifying idea is you don't know if you're going insane or not and if you well it's this so it's this very soft place where paranoia anxiety mental health and the possibility of the supernatural all combine and it, either one of those outcomes are fucking terrifying yeah there's no good there's if no it turns good outcome. out there's no paranormal thing you're still fucked yeah. that's <laughs> when a movie gets that that's the perfect place when when a movie is more like oh if it turns out that none of this is real and it's all in your head then everything's okay that's a weird th there are movies that do that and i think th that is someone who doesn't understand um, either mental health issues or just the general paranoia that can happen when you're unsure of how safe you are. Because if your version of safety is, oh, it's all in my head, how is that? That's nothing safe about that's that. What, no. That's scary. That's what that's what people have said about Whitley Strieber's communion. Like it's not scary because the aliens are all in his head. I'm like, he's still crazy. He's he has a he has children. He's still unsafe to be around. Like that's still such a. I mean. Even if it's like, even if it all, if it is all in his head, that's that's one of my favorite things. I don't know if you've read this comic, Saucer Country. Has everyone? I've read I Saucer Country. Yeah, uh, and you know they brought it back. Did they? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, it's back again. Uh, one of the, my favorite things about Saucer Country is that one of the skeptics is actually one hundred percent convinced that the phenomena is real. What he's skeptical about is aliens. But every time people engage him, they think like, "Oh, well, so you don't believe in aliens?" And he's like. This is no less frightening if it's not aliens. Like, if we're not describing extraterrestrials, then what we're describing is millions of um, humans having an experience that's yes. unexplained. That's also frightening. Oh, There's no. no aspect of this phenomena that's not like, to, not oh, no off, big deal. Not to go off on a tangent, because this is not a paranormal episode, but that's what's so fucking scary about the <laughs> dial-off pass incident. I don't think it's aliens or malicious, misbehaving Yeti. The unexplained, malicious, misbehaving Yeti. <laughs> I've said that is before. the name of our band. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's it's the unknown is terrifying, right? You know, Lovecraft said it. It's 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 one of the the scariest things in the world is not knowing. To be fair, for Lovecraft, part of the scary unknown was uh, women we, and black people. God so, damn it. God damn yeah, it. yeah, very Thank true. You. Yeah. 
But you're right. He was well. At, what, what Lovecraft? I like. I like what, that we call what, Lovecraft out every episode. What, I but love what that. Lovecraft gave us is a realization that, um, and I think it's it's one of his more frightening realizations is that it's not just the extraordinary that is possibly horrifying. It's the fact that we don't understand the ordinary. Yes, very so much like, so. like, yes, he is frightened of the extraordinary, but he also is like, you're in a room by yourself. There's a very familiar chair. How well do you actually know that chair? Is it possible there's something wrong with that chair? Yeah. Could it be possibly hiding a deep existential terror? And it's like, if you let yourself, you can actually get to the point where you realize you don't know much. And I think for me, tying... Uh, uncomfortably Lovecraft to this movie is simply the idea that she's experiencing something. The film is very clear. There's an experience happening. Yes. And it's actually the ambiguity of that experience that heightens the fear of the film. It doesn't, it doesn't make it um, less scary. It actually makes it sharper for me, at least. Well, she even goes to a quote unquote parapsychologist, a quote unquote expert on these things. And, this, I like you with your fucking quotes. On well, that. they're not real. They're not real. <laughs> Parapsychologists are not real academics. Just they're weird people with a lot of books. So me, uh, this woman tells her like, you don't need my help. Like you're not experiencing anything supernatural. Like this is all in your head. And Jessica's like, no, no, I'm gonna take pictures of my apartment. You're gonna see that there's something there. And she's like, okay, you go ahead and do that. Like we're very clearly being like i mean there is ambiguity don't get me wrong but we are very clearly being led down this idea that she is the source of her problems and it's still mind-bogglingly terrifying to me hmm hmm um ashley do you think and this is something i thought watching it um do you think that uh part of this film is uh, the reality that uh, black women and probably women of color generally are often not treated well in healthcare or in mental health, that oftentimes their issues are not taken as seriously, that their experiences are downplayed, um, that just statistically speaking, um, a lot of women of color who report trying to access help in the mental health system feel pretty devalued or uh, almost dehumanized in that system. Yeah. So I did a little bit of research for an article um, when I was kind of, I was talking about, um, I was talking about how black women specifically bring a very, um, uh, 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 I think it helps. I think what black women are doing with the horror genre is it's helping it evolve because it's bringing all these fresh, unique perspectives that have never been kind of introduced into the genre before in fantastical ways. And when I was doing, and I use paralysis as a really great example of that. And even um, Robin herself is very open and explicit about the idea of, yeah, this is also a film about um, mental health and about how black women deal with it. And just from my general observation of, you know, social media and maybe an article here and there on essence or another publication about how um and just listening to the podcast again um black women and you know access to health care especially therapy because that 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 joke about black people don't go to therapy to go to church is kind of old and tired because you know i've gone to church and i've gone to a church that says you know if you need help if you need mental help go get it you know we're, we're we can we can help you spiritually and we can help you know feed your soul but if you've got mental issues there's there's resources out there god put resources on this planet for you to get it you know so it's not just about one or the other and you know and i think that's a very um 
um, a damaging um, position to be dismissive, even within our own community to say, oh, you don't need a therapist. You just need you just need the Lord. And that's not always the case. And so even even when going to therapy, um, I know um, it depends on who you ask um, some some um, black women prefer to have women of color uh, or black women specific therapists and you know some don't care um i've had experiences with both um i've had really not so great experiences with white female therapists and i've had not so great experiences with black female therapists so um it, it really depends on who you ask um everybody's experience is different but overall um i think the lack of um access to healthcare or 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 this you know this cultural acceptance of black people getting um the therapy that they need for certain things. Um, all of that is kind of combined. It's all, it's all very, um, an individual on an individual basis. It depends on who you ask, but, um, yeah, um, access to healthcare is a thing. I think it's, um, possibly due to economics and class and access and, you know, getting those resources. Um, well, I definitely want to avoid, I mean, one of the stereotypes you do here is that about, uh, black women or or any black folks going to therapy is, is sort of a downplayed thing i think sometimes when people talk about that there's a blame tone to that like well they're just not going and it's like well how accessible is it how affordable is it and like therapy was way more stigmatized in the broader community until people went and so like if you make access to mental health care really difficult then how can you be surprised that culturally it hasn't really taken off? It's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that not everyone even has the opportunity to experience. So I, I, I just think in, a, in a lot of ways, some of the rhetoric around that is a little bit blamey. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's not fair to me. That's very clearly not fair. It's like, you know, I'm not going to blame folks that it seems weird to them or maybe they don't feel comfortable with it, especially when, I've had plenty of people report to me about going to um, therapists, both ther- both white therapists and therapists of color, who don't take into account the social aspect of not, you know, like anti-blackness is also an anxiety-causing situation. Absolutely. So, like, if part of your uh, psychological evaluation has nothing to do with the fact, like, it's hard out here, then, like how useful is exactly how useful is it you know what i mean so um anyways i i don't know is what else do we want to say uh both of you about this film without giving i mean we've said a good chunk about it. i don't want to give anything away like i want people to go in a little bit fresh is there anything else we can say about it that won't ruin it for anybody it's pretty dope <laughs> Um, I, I liked watching it with it with I liked watching it with an all black uh almost all black uh, audience. Whoa, that's great. That that was fun. I I don't think because um this was at Black Star and I don't think a lot of people were because it was cl- it was clumped in so dr- like you know dramatically like it was like a stark difference between the movie that came before. And the two movies that came before it in, in this particular block. So people were not expecting <laughs> at it all. And, um, you know, there is some kernel of truth to the vocal black audience in a movie theater and in a mo- or a movie setting. And it was totally true for this. So I had already seen it a gazillion times before, but in watching it, everyone else kind of experienced it was really fun. Well, I um, mean, I'll be straight up honest that with Get Out, 
uh, the second time I saw it, I was like, I need to go to a theater that's going to have a less white audience. That the first time I saw it, it was a very white audience, and I need a little bit of like interaction with the film. I can only and, imagine what was what people were saying. Where did you see it at, at two forty and around here? I saw the first time I saw it was at. 240 so i saw it in easton cool. and like there were people making shitty comments on the way out of the theater really i can't then the second I can't. time i went to see it i went to see it in allentown and not only was the audience more receptive but there was a young lady right in front of me who like was trying to talk to me about the movie a little bit and she was so excited and it was so much fun that i was like this is fine let's just talk yeah and it wasn't like a conversation she just would be like Yo, what about this? And I, and 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 was like, I was like, yeah, no, I get, I feel that. Like it was very interactive. Same thing with Black Panther. The uh, Association of Black Collegians here at Lafayette bought out a whole theater, so I got to see it with a bunch of students I work with in a theater together. Everyone felt comfortable. It was pretty. It was pretty great because, again, not that you need that to enjoy a film, but it's a different. I just think audience reception is part of a film, you yes. know. So, like, even watching a horror film. Watching a horror film with an audience that isn't sure if they give a fuck and watching an, a horror film with an audience that's like invested in the experience is a different experience. The same with it, like watching any retro film, if you have more than two people in the audience who are watching the film ironically, it's going to ruin the whole movie for everyone because they're going to laugh at parts that are not funny because they're there to mock the movie. It's the worst. It's watching. Uh, yeah, seeing, seeing, seeing a heart, seeing horror films with people who don't appreciate it or don't have a visceral reaction it's a nightmare it's it, it really is it really is terrible uh, i mean I can... this happened when i went you know they in philly speaking of the philly film culture you busted on uh they, they do <laughs> i didn't bust i didn't I'm say just anything jo- i'm just joking i'm just joking. i said nothing <laughs> uh i went you know they they do free films at various places around the city i stopped going to a lot of those because people would go they're going to see a movie like Total Recall to just bust on it the whole time. And I'm like, yo, this isn't the room. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people are going and watching Alien and trying to bust jokes. And I'm like, we're not fucking watching. You know what I mean? Like I don't like it when people want to make jokes during like admittedly campy movies. You know what yeah. I mean? So you're going to come out to Alien, one of the most fucking terrifying movies ever made, and try to be funny with your fucking handlebar mustache? Like get out of Fuck my that. face. Get out of here. <laughs> Drink the craft beer. Let us let it, let it, let us bask in the greatness of John Hurt and Yafit Kato. Oh my God, Yafit Kato is the fucking <laughs> god. Okay, let's get to this last movie because I need to go home and see my baby. Um, this last one uh, is called. Uh, oh, I'm gonna fuck it up again. Panic. I'm panicking because I didn't get to it. Venefica. Uh, Venefica. and it's a movie sort of dealing with witchcraft, but in a very kind of like. Um, uh, indirect kind of fun way I felt like like it's very much like if you didn't read the description you're just seeing someone and they're chopping wood they're just out chopping yeah. wood they're not having an easy time doing it either no it's not an easy thing it's pretty clear immediately that they are not necessarily used to chopping wood uh, and then through very uh, oblique ways it tells this story you know through phone call the tied up dude this whole idea and for me personally I kind of liked the twist. It's not a, there's not a lot there. It's not like a thick narrative, but it's the sort of thing that if it played at a film fest before a movie, I would laugh and clap. Like it was that funny was and fun and great. I liked it. What do, what do, what do, what do you think, Justin? Uh, this was, I, this movie was a little too short for my tastes. Um, oh, really? That's not to say I didn't like it. 
I thought it was great. Um, I just realized now that it was written, directed, and starred Maria Wilson. Right. Like, this movie was created by one person, literally right. created by one person, which is awesome. Um, I, I, I was watching and I was like, yeah, this is cool. I liked, I, you know, I, I liked, uh, how it was revealed to this guy that some bad shit was going to happen to him without really talking about it. Like that very easily, they could have gone down a very campy road, um, with her describing nonchalantly, like, no, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, he's still here. Okay. You know, they could have made that really corny very easily and they didn't. Um, and I, the way it ended, like, uh, I have made no secret of my love of abrupt endings, just bang and it's over. Like, it's one of the reasons I love an American War from London because it just ends. Like, the, the curtain drops and that's it. And this movie, the way she just like walks in the room and you hear the guy scream for a second and then just goes to black. When I say my favorite part of this movie was the ending, I'm not saying it in the way that I said that about, like, I don't know, Justice League because I was just glad it was over. My favorite, the way this movie ended was very like, okay, now I, I understand. Like, that's what they were going for. Like, that was the horror of the movie was the, you know, what was going to be befallen upon this guy, I guess. Ashley, did you get to see this the first time with an audience or is this something you streamed first? I streamed it. Did I? No. I mean, I, I, I think it's really great that it, it was, it got on Shutter's radar. Um, but I don't even remember how I saw this. I, I, this might have been a, a recommendation from someone. And then I I believe I reached out to the filmmaker. I was able to get a screener and I watched it and I reviewed it. Um, and I, yeah, I that I agree with you, Justin. It's what I really like the ending. I like what, again, what we don't really like. I guess we kind of have to create kind of our own I- idea of like, not what's going on necessarily, but what actually is happening because we don't know if we don't know um after the after the ritual she does why she's so delighted you know what i mean and then it does kind of cut towards that end so we don't really know what's going on necessarily but it's kind of cool it has that kind of allure to it that um i really like and it's it's a quiet film that gives you just enough but yeah i will say it is also a movie for me that like i would love to see more yeah, I think it was still, even though it was, there was something clearly horrific happened off screen. I still think this movie had sort of like a delightful tone to it. Like, right. she was very happy that she had done something. She succeeded with some kind of ritual. And again, um, I like that they don't explain that. I like that they didn't, it didn't get bogged down in any kind of weird mythology or well, anything I mean, like that. Well, I mean, it's, you know, all I need is that poem at the beginning to let me know, okay, she's going to be a, she's going to be a good witch or, I like that they don't clarify. It's going to be a light, a light witch or a dark witch. That's what I'm saying. It's like, like they just, they were just like, here it is. Here's some context, kind of. Do with you as you must. Here's this movie. It ends awesomely. And it's like, like I said, it was a little too short for me, but I'll take a little too short over a little too long. Well, but I, I think it, what I also like about it is it plays off of my assumptions. When she's stoked because she's so casual with her mom on the phone and because of how she's doing the ritual, when she's stoked at the end, I think, oh, she must be a good witch. Mm-hmm. She must be, you know, whatever. And then the dude screams and clearly she's done something horrifying to him. And then I'm like, oh, right. She might be light or dark magic, whichever one involves murdering this guy. And Maybe. she's super stoked about it. I assume because 
that means her and her mom are like on the same page. I mean, because she fair. specifically says like "I love you no matter what," sort of suggests like her mom's being like, "Okay, well, I still love you, even though I really hope you're on my team." <laughs> like, it, it, it kind of reminded me of like a child choosing a college in the sense of yeah. like, you, you know, on the list is dad's uh, dad or mom's alma mater, and they're like, "I love you wherever you go," but you're definitely a Yale person or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of appreciated that. To be fair, that that scream that that gentleman let out, you know, I've. Maybe he was shouting joyously. I've I've shouted joyously. Nope. No. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say nah. To that. Yeah, that was that didn't end well for that guy. But you know what? Oh well. So um, I don't know that there's a lot to say about that other than it's available on Shutter, and I really think um I want to encourage folks because. People don't do this a lot. If you have Shutter, watch the short film section on it. Yeah, I have yeah, Shutter. Liam, did you know that? I'm aware that you have Shutter. I have Shutter. Yeah, I have Netflix too. Oh, I do know that. <laughs> what you don't have is a fucking Blu-ray player. I don't. <laughs> um. So, uh, and I think it's not just Shutter, right? If you have Fandor or Filmstruck, like a few services have short films on them. Check those out. I I, I get it. Like. We live in a culture where the feature film is lifted up above all things. But I really think that you miss out if you don't give short films a chance. Uh, and side note, if you are someone who makes short horror films and you want to send them to us, we will watch them and talk about them on our website uh, or on the podcast. You can come on the podcast and talk about your short film. It's true. I will say, if you send it to us, right, and we think it's terrible... <laughs> We're probably not going to mention it on the podcast because <laughs> no, because what I don't want to do is get on here and go, uh, hey, there's a there's a film we watch that you'll never hear let's, of. Let's stop. Let's stop right now because I. <laughs> you think we will? This, mention is, this that is, is cutting terrible? too close to home. Just stop it. We could still walk away from this. We could still walk away from this conversation. We, what are you so worried just about? Just stop it. Just uh, just stop it. We'll talk about it later when we're done recording. Just stop it. I'm not going to mention your bad film. No, I didn't. My, what bad film? You mean my the films I post on Instagram, my dog and pizza? Those are no, great. I was I was talking to the audience, not you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love your the movie. The various movies you've made on Instagram are actually really great. They're beautiful. Uh, um, I don't even. Oh my god! I don't Doesn't even matter. Know. Hey, actually, obviously people can connect with you on Twitter. Which is is it at what is your Twitter again? It's Graveyard Sister. That's what but I it, it's the brand, but it's also me. Like I'll tweet right. me stuff sometimes. I don't. I don't know. It's it's it is a blurry line between a brand account and a personal account, I guess. I don't know, but well, so I me. mean, but you are the it, as much as the brand means other people are writing for the site. The site is bigger than you. You're still the organizing force of the of the site. So I think you shouldn't feel bad owning that. No, I. I still find it hilarious that people think there's like a gazillion people behind this, and it's just like, no, just me and occasional contributor. That's about I mean, it. We, we we get that all the time. I mean, you know, there's definitely a team with Cinepunks, but the team is like a few people on Slack are at work going, "Oh, we got a new thing. Can someone edit it? Who who can edit it? Can you edit it? Okay, cool." And I'm I'm so charismatic. People have just assumed that there can be no single person, Justin Lore. He's an amalgamation <laughs> of various personalities, but I'm one. I'm but one man. Sorry to tell you. So, so Twitter, Graveyard Sister. Then the website is GraveyardSisterSisters dot com. Yeah, Graveyard Sister on Twitter, and yeah, GraveyardSisters dot com is where you can get everything and every, all the social media uh, buttons are are linked through that as well. So. And people should also be checking out the Axe Wound Film Festival. When does that usually happen? Um, we have not set a date for 2018, but okay. um, 
they should in, keep in, it the, in the midst of fall. Right, so. right, right. Uh, well, that makes sense. I mean, that's that's probably when. Anything else you want to tell? Anything else you want to hype up to the audience so that they can check you out in various ways over the interwebs? If you ever hear anyone say black women don't like horror, don't make horror, you can always give them the receipts of the 28 days of black <laughs> women horror filmmakers and say you're wrong <laughs> and say right. it emphatically and say it factually. And also, um, just a quick shout out because today she is the, um, she's day 23. Another great short film that is available on YouTube is, um, and it's, it's campy, but it's horror comedy. It specifically has that emphasis. It's called Afterbirth and it was written and directed by Ebony Boyd. Boykin, and she is a Columbia University graduate, and that film was a student film for sure. But it is so fun and so effective, and I've showed it to people who have been really, who have been, who have really liked it and been taken aback by it because there's something they got um, out of it. So, I think that people should have respect for. I mean, this Brie Newsom film was a student film. Uh, anyone who managed to go to a fest and see Hagazusa, that was a student film. Hagazusa, Hagazusa. I, you're Whatever. the one who saw it, man. Don't, oh, don't, don't ask me for clarification. It's fucked up. And it's a student film and it's amazing. So I, I, I think that, um, you know, let's, let's get out of the focusing on every new goddamn Blumhouse shit that comes out. Okay. <laughs> hang on, hang, just pump the brakes. <laughs> I know you love, pump, pump you the, love the Blums. Guilt, guilty pleasure. House. Guilty pleasure. No, guilty no, no. Pleasure. I get, but what I'm saying is let's not focus exclusively on that and let's start thinking about some of the smaller, uh, really like, you know, hungry young artists out here trying to make a name for themselves in horror, you know? Yeah, let's stop doing Rocky Balboa and Rocky Three, and let's start looking at Rocky from the first Rocky movie. The hungry filmmakers. Jesus They're not Christ. hungry anymore. I hate you so much. <laughs> I watched Rocky the other night. He's still in my head. I got it. And I met Carl Weathers, so I'm still sad about Apollo Creed dying. Oh, Carl All right. Weathers. I know. It's very... No, every, it's every, every time I watch Rocky Four, I get very... I still haven't seen Creed, which you were in. <sighs> Yeah, were you in it? Liam was in Creed. Don't let him tell you otherwise. I was an extra. Can we see you? No, it's like this is why this is why this is an issue. It's because <laughs> they keep bringing it up, and then people who don't know how annoying everyone is, they go, "Oh, oh, you're in Creed. Where should I look for you?" And I'm like, "Don't look for me. You won't see me." Although I will say that the blue sh- shirt I have on today is the shirt I was wearing in Creed. So. Yes, you were in Creed. You can see me if you know to look for this shirt. You can't see my head. <laughs> my face is invisible in Creed. Oh, whatever. <sighs> anyway. Thank you for coming on. It was yeah, really Ashley, great to have you, you on. Thank you so much. We thank hope you, you will come on again sometime and continue to have conversations are with you, us. Uh, you're, going, are you, you're going to Monster Mania in two weeks? I am. What days? Are you, you're not going Sunday, are you? I never go Sunday. It's because I'm 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 broke after Saturday. It's Friday this is, sometimes. So this is the thing that Justin just needs to own because he always makes it sound like it's just with Justin. You the only days you're ever available during the daytime yeah. are Sunday and Monday. But you always make it sound like oh I just go on Sunday because it's chill. It's like you also work most Saturdays unless you go out of your way to take off. I'm saying, and my boss is totally cool with me taking off. I've done it before. I just don't. There's too many. Yeah, I mean, because of the people that I hang with at Monster Mania, we had a strong debate about this, but one of them is like her mother comes with us sometimes too, and her mother is super extroverted and bubbly, and she wants to be, she wants to be there and be immersed within all the madness, and so we're like, okay, because we love your mom, we'll totally chill and hang, and so it's kind of like, because we were like, we should not go on Saturday, because Saturday's just going to be too crazy, and we're too yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I'm surprised the fire department hasn't shut them down yet. So. Oh yeah, 
I uh, my mom's actually going with me this Sunday, this year on Sunday because the kids from it are going to be there, and she's right. like, she's like, you know, like I can't talk to them as a thirty four year old man. I can't go up to a sixteen year old kid and be like, hey, you were really good. That was really cool because your brother. <laughs> but my mom, as a grandmother, can go up and say like, when when your little brother died, oh my god, that was so sad. Oh my god, it broke my heart. That's <laughs> sounds like it all, but. Also, Richard Dreyfus is going to be there. That so. is the that uh, I've never met your mom, and <laughs> I can guarantee I don't think I have. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. I've met Pat, but I've never met your yeah. mom. and yet I can guarantee she doesn't. She doesn't sound like that at all. No, no, no. Um, but no. So yeah, are, are are you're not going to New Jersey Hark the New Jersey Hark convention next week? I, I am so poor. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, yeah, I, I get that. I can only afford one kind yeah. right now, but Go. yeah, um, I would have loved to because I think the, I, I'm more interested in the guests that they have there. Yeah, but I, I always see that I get to save money if I'm not paying for also to get in line for a guest. So yes, yes. So it cuts a it cuts a corner. It does. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Um, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Download, 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 download. download. Uh, you can follow uh, at the Harbiz six 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 on Twitter. They can shoot you an email. The Harbiz at Gmail. Yeah, I couldn't remember what it was, so that's why I stopped. It is game show voice. In. This is where we're we're handing off here. Come on, Snappy Poppy. You can check us out on Twitter at the Harbiz six 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 Gmail and the Harbiz at Gmail dot com. And you can that. find more episodes of The Hard Business and quality episodes of so many other podcasts, including but not limited to The Mandate, Cinepunks itself, Black, Black Sun Dispatches, Don't Watch Got Me a Movie. Don't listen to it. I will fight you, Burgertron. <laughs> I like that you're picking fights with I'm calling people. them out. Small Screen Cinema. Small Screen Cinema, yes. We have lots of great podcasts on there. You can also find out how to donate to our Patreon if your beautiful heart so inclines you to do so. Thank you so much for listening. Again, not to sound like a broken record. Ashley, thank you for being on the show. Um, anything else before we sign off? No, I'm good. Fuck Victor Salva. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> I love that your sign off is fuck Victor Yeah, Salva. I was about to say, did you say fuck Victor Salva? <laughs> Bet. Like... I don't know. Yeah, I, I never really cared for his movies anyway. Then I see all these people love them, and I'm like, uh, do you know about the director? <laughs>